0: Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. I thank you for taking a few moments to join me, Randall, on this edition of Around with Randall. We move back into our periodic but I think important and illuminating series on the great philanthropists. Today, we really focus on two. And sometimes it's unfortunate that it takes the loss of someone to really elevate their philanthropy, particularly people that have a persona, a notoriety that goes much beyond that philanthropy. Today, I want to highlight the couple of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. There will be some that will say something about his presidency. There will be some that will say the issues of that time when he was president from January of 1977 to January of 1981 were racked with all kinds of things. I'm not going to get into the political today because I don't think that that's relevant to the actual conversation. I will ask this question though, when we look at presidents How many presidents can you think of whose life is almost highlighted more so by when they weren't president, particularly post presidency, than they were during their presidency? In particular, the post. You can certainly mention Dwight David Eisenhower. Uh, and his military leadership uh, during World War II as the Supreme Allied Commander in the European Theater. You could mention uh, certainly Ronald Reagan, who had a movie career. But think about the world after they became president, or for that matter, anyone else. And I think what you might find is is that life wasn't as much notoriety maybe an exception for Teddy Roosevelt and what he did after uh, he left the White House in 1909 after not running in 1908. It's really kind of fascinating. And yet the Carters in particular, Jimmy Carter, but Rosalind who he called his equal in every way, maybe their greatest contribution to this world happened post presidency. Think about this. It's 2024 here in January. That is. 40-plus years removed from when he left office, when they left the White House, and yet their life in giving back as philanthropists is enormous and was done almost entirely, in terms of the largesse of it, post-presidency. That's remarkable. So we'll take a few minutes and talk about these two amazing people that really, I think, unfortunately, with the passing of the former first lady was illuminated at a much higher level and probably by design, because I don't think they were looking for the credit in the first place. Uh, Starting with Jimmy, Jimmy Carter was born in Plains, Georgia, all the way back in the 1920s. Uh, And interestingly enough, Rosalind Carter was born three years approximately later in Plains, Georgia. And in fact, Rosalind Carter's closest friend or amongst her closest friends was Jimmy Carter's younger sister growing up. They live very close to each other. And it wasn't until their first date when Jimmy Carter was beginning to head towards the Naval Academy. Actually, I think he'd be admitted. They have their first date. Things move quickly and they don't finally get married until 1946 as Jimmy Carter's coming out of the Naval Academy to serve as an active officer in the United States Navy. They go begin their lives in the Navy. Upon a loss loss of a father, Jimmy Carter resigns his commission and moves back to Plains, Georgia with his family, where the both of them begin to take over various business interests that the family had, the most famous being a peanut farm, which you always heard, Jimmy Carter the peanut farmer, and eventually into the 1976 election for the presidency of the United States after having been elected governor of the state of Georgia, in which he won and beat Gerald Ford serves for four years as president. Obviously, that means that Rosalind Carter serves as well. Rosalind Carter didn't have as much education as her husband, graduating with a junior college degree, basically. But Jimmy Carter always indicated that she he thought she was brilliant. And it goes back into a time when possibly women, most likely women, weren't given the same opportunities as men. Post-presidency... You can imagine it's kind of tough. You are limited in what you can do. You're not as free as maybe the world would think you are, and you have to start making decisions. And it was finally in 1984 that they opened the Carter Center. And through the Carter Center, remarkable things have occurred, and they're related to various aspects. That's really what I want to spend about four or five minutes talking about paying tribute and really what we can learn about their philanthropy. The first maybe maybe major philanthropic thing that they were involved with actually took place during Rosalind Carter's t- time as the first lady when she did a multitude of interviews on mental health and actually was a vibrant part of some congressional legislation in 1977 and 78 around mental health challenges and how hospitals, government, communities, nonprofits need to be paying more attention to it. So her advocacy, we talk about philanthropy not meaning money, meaning love of mankind, love of humankind. Well, that's what they were professing at the time. And I don't think Jimmy Carter, if you could get him to comment today, although he is pulled back from the world as he's lost his wife of 70 plus years, would tell you that they ever wanted to be rich. and What they wanted to be was influential in making the world a better place. That's the essence of philanthropy. In any case, in 1984, several things began to happen. Uh, Number one is, is that they opened the Carter Center, and we'll get into that, some of the details there. I think the other thing that came from this is that they began a lifelong or rest of their lifelong connection, actively involved, not using their name. I mean using their hands into the thing that they're probably most famously connected to from a charity perspective, which is Habitat for Humanity. Now, Habitat was founded in 1942, and not by the Carters, but if you look at the growth from the early 1980s, when they became affiliated, what they kind of call the the, the Carter connection, the Carter work, the Carter engagement, to today, you can begin to see that the work of Habitat for Humanity grew exponentially. In that 40 years since their initial really deep connection, With Habitat for Humanity, there have been more than 100,000 volunteers worldwide throughout 14 countries, and they have built more than 4,000 homes. Did they give all the money for those? They did not. Were they the reason philanthropy occurred in most of those opportunities and impacts into community, people's lives? You're darn right. That is an immense contribution to our communities where people either were looking for second chances, first chances to get their lives square and to achieve what we've always kind of constituted as the American dream, to own a home. And Habitat, Habitat for Humanity is an amazing organization who literally builds houses that are unbelievably well thought out and built for the most part, and then finds people and helps them financially qualify and be able to afford a house and that structure. It's just not the building. It's the process of helping people budget and get loans and have accessibility to finances and resources to get them into the home. That's probably even more important than the house itself. And that's being done all over the world now because of the Carter work project. That started in the early 1980s with Habitat for Humanity. But that humanity caring pers- perspective and vision isn't limited to just Habitat for Humanity. And by the way, when I say they got involved, there are pictures of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter in their 90s helping to build a house. Were they lifting the major beams? They weren't. And at 95 plus, so be it. But you talk about putting your money where your mouth is. They weren't just saying it. They were doing it. That's pretty amazing. The Carter Center also has been involved with other things besides building homes, which they think of as kind of a basic right to have a place to live. They've been incredibly involved, as Jimmy Carter was when he was president, with peacemaking initiatives, whether it was in countries like Tunisia, Sierra Leone, Zimbabwe, Bolivia, uh, Guinea, and the issues of free voting and of democracy being pushed throughout the world. They were also involved with women's access to the ballot and being a part of the political process in places like Liberia, Bangladesh, and Guatemala. They over saw as a kind of what I would call election monitoring in various ways through Latin America, Africa, and Asia to ensure that access for information was shared. They've worked with the United Nation. They've been involved with conflict resolution. When we talk about, and that's, you might think about the Nobel Peace Prize that uh, Jimmy Carter was awarded in during his presidency, but going on into uh, Mali and Syria and the Israeli-Palestine conflict, and I don't mean the one right now, but prior. So they've been involved with how do we bring peace to the world? And frankly, we could use a little more of that, no matter where your politics are. I don't think anybody views war as a positive. As I get older, I love military history. I find it more and more difficult to watch war movies cuz war provides death. As you get a little older you realize how precious life is. I have a little harder to watch even though they're 1940 50 60s movies. I mean, they're John Wayne and others like that, the the black and white submarine movies and others. Peace has value. Now that doesn't mean you sacrifice it without purpose. Jimmy Carter believed in that idea of peace. And so did Rosalind Carter. They also were very heavily involved in worldwide health issues. So they went into countries and there were six, what they thought of as, or thought of as preventable diseases from worm, uh, Guinea uh, worm issues, river blindness, lymphatic, uh, lymphatic filariasis. Uh, lymphonic, uh, excuse me, not my area of expertise and even malaria in Hispanola, all of these diseases, the six of them that they have focused on throughout their lives, particularly since after their presidency and and being first lady, were all about simple low-cost methods and health education to to stop them. So they didn't, it wasn't just about big dollars, let's go in. It was about how can small things make enormous differences and that people locally could control that. Because of their humanitarian efforts from a medical perspective, as well as from others, the National Foundation of Infectious Disease has an annual humanitarian award that is named for the former president, first lady, the Jimmy and Rosalind Carter Humanitarian Award. What do we take from all of this? The value of life doesn't actually have to be defined by when you're most known. There's no question being president of the United States, it's the smallest probably group of people from an American perspective. I mean, if senators, maybe Supreme Court justices is a few less. Actually, I think it's more because there's nine of them. But you're talking about a small group of people. What I find interesting is is that the most important thing Jimmy and Rosalind Carter did probably happened after that presidency. So whether you are in business and you are being given awards, or whether it's you're writing books, or whether it's you're in the community, that the most important thing you do isn't when you're most known, but really by what you most give and when you give it. I would tell you, and I have no knowledge, never met, obviously the former president or the former fist lady, but you just kind of read around the edges. I don't think they were looking for notoriety. I think they were just looking to make a difference. And no matter where your politics are, isn't that what we want from people in this world? Who are the people in your community that aren't looking for notoriety that just are kind of in the shadows, but only shadows from a public perspective, privately, philanthropically, they want the best. How do you find those individuals and allow them to be part of your organization? And they may not be the richest. Maybe it's their heart that's the biggest, their willingness to to, to get their hands involved in the dirt, so to speak. That's philanthropy at its finest. And I think we could learn a lot from the 40 plus years post-presidency of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, that life isn't at its fullest when you're the most known, most important, the leader of the free world and the first lady who supports him and as he called her her equal, his equal in everything he ever did. But in the 44 years that came after that changed people's lives day to day, who are the people in our community that might fit that bill? Don't forget, check out the pod or the excuse me, the blogs at halephilanthropy.com. If you'd like to get a hold of me, this podcast at halephilanthropy.com. The old saying, which I use every podcast when I speak, some people make things happen, some people watch things happen. And then there are those who wondered what happened. Jimmy and, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter were people who made things happen. For everybody else. And in the in that time, and their 70 plus years of marriage, and all the things that they did, they found a life of giving. And it harkens me back to what Winston Churchill once said. You make a life by what you get, what you make. You make, excuse me, you make a living by what you make. You make a life by what you give. And that is critically important to what we learn today. We'll jump back into the normal process of development, fundraising, nonprofits, and charity in the next edition of Around with Randall. Until then, I thanks for, thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you the next time. And don't forget, make a great day.